Alright, hello everybody. Today is Monday. Another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. Just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that there is a new series of videos out on the Zodiac Killer channel here on YouTube, and it is covering some new material talking about cases of paranormal activity, haunted locations around the world, and the narrator for that series sounds an awful lot like me, so I'm already a big fan. And yes, that is on the Zodiac Killer channel. I would invite you all to have a listen. The next one is that I was following the podcast Zodiac Speaking, which is hosted by Richard Grinnell and Mike Morford. And Richard Grinnell is also the guy from ZodiacCiphers.com, one of the best websites for um, looking into not only the confirmed Zodiac canonical crimes as well as the letters and the ciphers, but I go there all the time to learn info about unconfirmed Zodiac activity, like crimes that could be, could have possibly been attributed to the Zodiac killer. I'm a big fan of Zodiac ciphers, and I was listening to Zodiac speaking, and Richard Grinnell was talking about one of the Fairfield letters. There were were more than one. And I would just um, want to read this off first to you, and we will be talking about the Zodiac suspect Lawrence Kane in this episode, but I wanted to just cover this very quickly. And it said, This is the Zodiac speaking. I just want to tell you, this state is in trouble. I will go for the government life, so don't forget me. I will kill more people than you cops can count, so look for more. You better print. And then there's a small set of symbols, a very small arrangement, actually. And then it says, you will not catch me, I will kill in San Francisco, SJ, which I can only expect means San Jose, Vallejo, Napa, Fairfield, Sacramento, Oakland, ha ha ha. And yes, of course, with exclamation points, and then there's a 37 down in the corner. Now, on a personal note, I first uh, looked at this one because I took that center graphic and used it for an episode on the multiple killers theory, talking about... um, Something that I had been curious about in the past, the thrill-kill club theory, really, if you will, and that was the idea that there were at least four different people who committed the canonical crimes, and I chose that graphic for a reason because it had those um, four zodiac signs, and then there was um, the larger circle in the middle, meaning that these four people committed this criminal masterpiece. I always maintained that there was one letter writer at the beginning that, in one central planning mind, I definitely still think that. But about this letter here, I had always thought that it wasn't authentic Zodiac activity. Just a quick glance, my first take on the subject, I was like, this is a hoax, this is a forgery, and it's a bad forgery. But, um... I mean, if you look at the cipher that is written in there, it's just a square, a triangle, and then four circles. And the circles all have um, different lines going through them. Two of them actually have the same vertical line, and then it connects into the zodiac sign. But now, if I understand, Richard Grinnell thinks the Fairfield letters are authentic. And here is something that... um could possibly be connected to someone else's theory, and that is Michael Cole, author of the Zodiac Revisited Trilogy. And it says, um, I just want to tell you, this state is in trouble. I will go for the government life, so don't forget me. The government life is generally accepted that it's referring to police officers, even though the Zodiac did say in other correspondences that he didn't wipe out 
blue meanies or something to that effect. But um, Michael Cole talked about the murder of Richard Radich, which he believed was a genuine Zodiac crime that took place because um, of its proximity to the summer solstice. Oh, just going off of memory, I want to say that the murder of Richard Redditch was around the summer solstice in 1970, and Michael Cole talks more about that in the Zodiac Revisited series. I just thought that that was something that was lining up with his theory. Now, I'm not endorsing any of this, and even at this point, I can't say that this Fairfield letter is authentic, but um, Richard did bring up some very convincing points on Zodiac speaking, particularly in its connection to the second Fairfield letter, and I think that Richard's um, presentation has really, um, it's really strengthened the idea that there was one person who was behind all of this because he points out certain consistencies that are found in the letters, like going from 1969 all the way into the 1970s and perhaps even into the 1980s. I was um, corresponding with Richard Grinnell once, and I asked him flat out about something that is in the opposite direction, the idea that there was no Zodiac killer. I talk frequently on the channel about how I have been curious about the Zodiac hoax. I talk about the Zodiac hoax theory a lot, the one that was created by Thomas Henry Horan, that there wasn't even a single Zodiac killer, and it's not even the Thrill Kill Club theory that I had thought about in the past, that there are four killers and one of them is the letter writer. No, it's that one person was writing letters taking credit for crimes that he didn't commit. So I asked Richard, why is the hoax theory wrong? And the response that I got was that he absolutely disagreed with all of Thomas Henry Horton's conclusions. And I didn't feel that I had the most satisfying answer as to why, but um, Richard simply provided the alternative that most people who look into the Zodiac case find that there was a single Zodiac killer, and the same person wrote the letters who committed the murders. It's just there's the, the disagreement is over who committed the crimes, who was the actual Zodiac. But when you look at the way that I just explained it, that Richard has pointed out consistencies in the letters over numerous years that um, are matching up in certain ways, um, that doesn't sound like a hoax. If I had to go with a gut instinct, I would not think that that was a hoax. That instead suggests that there is either a single perpetrator or some genuine, real Zodiac activity, and it's not a hoax theory. I mean, especially just to continue writing letters into the 70s and 80s, if it's all just a hoax, I mean, to, to achieve this in the 1960s would be sufficient enough. I mean, to just devote all the risk of getting caught for something that isn't even real. Okay, yeah, some murderer is trying to taunt the police. Well, that guy's actually committed crimes, and he is um, trying to hide his activities, but um, someone is putting themselves on the line for crimes they didn't even commit. I mean, like, they could be implicating themselves in murders that they didn't even commit. I mean, like, the the repercussions for actions you didn't do would be enormous. And um, if, you know, if Richard's theory is correct that the Zodiac letters continued until the 1980s, I believe he even says the 1981 letter um, concerning Atlanta is authentic. So I just wanted to share that, but I did say that um, I was going to be talking about the Zodiac suspect Lawrence Kane today, and this is um, for 
a particular reason. The first is that um, I've been doing a deep dive segment on the disappearance of Donna Lass. I'm, I'm acting like it's been going on for ages. There's only been one episode that has come out, and yes, this Thursday there will be the next episode on the disappearance of Donna Lass part two, so that's a, another announcement to drop. And a comment came in on the first one from Playtime, and I will read that off in a second. And I was um, debating on whether or not to use this in the Wednesday AMA or on the Tuesday True Crime Talk Radio episode, but I thought that this warranted its own full-length episode minus the introduction there. And Playtime says, Donna Last was just not coming in because of a legitimate reason, and perhaps she would go back. Perhaps she was taken to Nevada and murdered. A hit may have been taken out on her months earlier. She was starting a relationship with an older man that she was nursing. It may have been it may have made the son in line for the inheritance. He then hired the services of the mob. They may have had Lawrence Kane set up shop near her to provide legitimate reasons for being in the area and give him an alibi. The signature look we think of as the Zodiac is a disguise according to the Zodiac, so it very well could be Kane. He worked in real estate, and we know he murdered Dana Lull on his days off for his birthday, and he has many links to the case that are beyond coincidence. And the comment goes on there for a while, but first, um, it appears that Lawrence Kane, after looking into him in the past, he definitely had some type of connection to organized crime. He is the suspect that was brought forward by Harvey Hines, and um, I've previously stated that that occurred in 1974 when Harvey Hines made a solution to the Z-13 cipher, unconfirmed, of course, that Lawrence Kane's name appears, and it says, name Kane, and there are three eights, and that totals up to 24. So you needed someone whose name was Kane, born in 1924. And the letters are written in the English language from right to left, but the words are arranged from left to right, the way the Hebrew language functions. So Heinz theorized that they needed a Jewish suspect who was born in 1924 with a criminal record, and that's how he settled on Lawrence Kane. Okay, so Kane has a connection to not only the disappearance of Donna Lass, but also the murder of Dana Lull, which occurred in 1974. And I wanted to learn more about this, so like many a time, I got on the Lawrence Kane WordPress, and this uh, site is run by Travis Miller. He, he does an absolutely excellent job, and I say that because I wanted to read some articles about the murder of Dana Lull. And if I were to read off every article that has been compiled here on the Lawrence Kane WordPress, it would take me more than an hour. There are so many of them. But... The first point uh, that we can state about the disappearance of, Donald, of Dana Lull, this is Dana Lull, is that she was abducted. And just like that, she was a high-profile disappearance, missing persons case from 1974. And I'm going to go to an article from the Hayward Daily that was published on May 3rd, 1974. Las Vegas. The FBI has joined the search for Dana Marie Lull, 15 years old, who was kidnapped at gunpoint from a parked car in the Red Rock Canyon area Sunday. The FBI entered the case under the law, which says if a kidnapped victim is not returned within 24 hours, it is assumed that the victim may be removed from the state. I mean, that's definitely going to be a, a double-edged sword of a law, but 
Miss Lowell was forced into a small sports car by a man wearing a suit with a shirt and tie and was wearing glasses and driving gloves, according to the teenager's male companion. Roy Tapai, who later passed a lie detector test, said the assailant pointed a gun at them and took the keys to his car. Tapai said he escaped when the man went to the side of the car to get the girl. Metropolitan Police said both Miss Lowell and the kidnapper called to Tapai to return, but he remained hidden in a nearby ravine. And um, in this one, it says that Roy Tapai was 20 years old. We'll see in some other uh, news clippings here that he's also listed as 21 years old. But um, there's even one from the Las Vegas Sun that refers to this as a lover's lane kidnapping. And um, the FBI enters case of a missing girl. That's another Las Vegas Sun article. The media was all over this case. and um, But uh, sadly, Dana Lull was not uh, found alive. Her body was found about two weeks later and decomposing in a mine shaft. I'll go to the article from May 9, 1974, The Las Vegas Sun. Organized ground and air searches for the kidnapping disappearance of 15-year-old Dana Marie Lull were discontinued yesterday. Police said every parcel of land and mountain in a wide radius from Red Rock Canyon had been covered without success. Miss Lull was abducted at gunpoint from her boyfriend's parked car April 27th by a man who wore a suit, gloves, and glasses. And then, of course, murder victim identified. And this one is actually from the Sun Telegram, and it was written by writer Richard Brooks. The body of a female was found in a mine shaft near Needles, and it is that of 15-year-old Dana Lull, who was reportedly kidnapped at gunpoint three weeks ago in Las Vegas. San Bernardino Sheriff's Lieutenant Ron Forbush said by telephone from Las Vegas last night, the badly decomposed body of Dana Marie Lull of 5683 Madre Mesa was identified by dental charts and by clothes and jewelry found on the corpse. Forbush said that she was last seen alive on April 27th by her boyfriend, who told police that he and Dana were parked in a secluded scenic area when a gunman drove up and ordered her out of the car. Roy Tapai, actually this one says his name is Roy Popeye, P-O-P-H-I-H, and this one, this is age is 21, as I said, he's, um, I've, uh, I've seen at least one other source here on the Lawrence Kane WordPress that listed his age as 21, told, uh, Los, told investigators in Las Vegas that he escaped after he saw the assailant turn his attentions to Miss Lull. So Lawrence Kane is one of these Zodiac suspects that has a very definitive connection to the state of Nevada. And I was even reading an article during the Donna Lass episode that said the Zodiac Killer was a serial killer that operated in California and Nevada. And I was like, oh no, wait a second. Where is any ounce of confirmed activity that the Zodiac Killer not only worked in another state such as Nevada, but was even outside of the Bay Area, talking about the confirmed incidents. Uh, the people who have followed this program know that I don't endorse any of the unconfirmed crimes, whether it's the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, the Gaviota shooting, or even, as I said, about the murder of Richard Redditch. But uh, Travis also lists Lawrence Kane's birth date here, April 29th, 1924, in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I say this is a lover's lane crime that went wrong, but you might be noticing something about how, firstly, there was an abduction in this. Lawrence Kane, Zodiac Killer, no matter who committed the crime, there is a major difference between these activities 
and that of the Zodiac Killer, and that is that the Zodiac didn't abduct the victims. I frequently point to the October 27th, 1969 stabbing of Cecilia Ann Shepard when she was tied up, hogtied, her hands were tied to her feet, and she's in a very vulnerable position. The Zodiac could have done numerous things to her. However, I don't think abduction would have been likely in Riverside, but he did, he just left her there. Did I say Riverside? I meant Lake Berryessa. At Lake Berryessa because they're about 300 to 500 meters away from any vehicle. But the Zodiac could have done all kinds of things to Cecilia Shepard after she had been stabbed, and the, the Zodiac just left. Just left. He stabbed her multiple times, left, and wrote a message on the car door on Brian Hartnell's Carmen Gia. But I will point to something else. On December 20th, 1968, the Zodiac committed the first canonical crime, the Lake Harmon Road murders. The Zodiac would have had a perfect opportunity to abduct Betty Lou Jensen, a 16-year-old girl, one year older than Dana Lull. But the Zodiac didn't do that, and if anything, either Betty Lou Jensen took off running for her life, or maybe the perpetrator at Lake Herman Road ordered her to run, and he thought that he was a good enough shot that he could have um, fired at her and successfully hit, which he did. But those types of actions did not take place. The Zodiac is much more about committing the murders as opposed to abduction or kidnapping, molestation, any of that. So I would actually like to go to something that I found on a website discussion forum thingy called Reddit. Perhaps you've heard of it. No, I'm joking. On these um, BBOR recordings, I pull up Reddit from time to time, but I really try to avoid it. However, this is a day when I'm going to break that... Um, not even a rule, break that unwritten rule or something. Yeah, I use Reddit from time to time, but we're mostly trying to avoid it. Anyway, there's a question that has been posed here, or a statement, rather. Why the Dana Lull murder means that Lawrence Kane is not the Zodiac. And, um, oh, uh, I seem to... Anyway, let's look here. When I ask what evidence there is that Lawrence Kane was violent, the reply usually involves the murder of Dana Lull a 1974 Lover's Lane attack near Las Vegas in which Lawrence Kane was a significant suspect. The reason that I think Dana, the Dana Lull case points away from Lawrence Kane as the Zodiac Killer is, number one, he seems like an excellent suspect for the murder of Dana Lull, and number two, this is not a Zodiac murder. Well, um, this is why Reddit is a little bit difficult to deal with. It sounds like there are an enormous amount of conclusions that are being reached. I mean, rushing to conclusions on overdrive here, but first let me say that Lawrence Kane has a lot going for him as a Zodiac suspect, among the most, and it would not surprise me if it turned out to be him. That said, the details of the Dana Lowe case, while superficially seem similar to the Zodiac killing, are actually different in ways so significant that it should cast serious doubt on this being a Zodiac crime. The biggest strike against the Lowell murder as a Zodiac killing is the fact that the young man escapes into the surrounding wilderness. And as I said when I read off the first article that he escaped into the ravine and um, he heard people calling out for him, the assailant and his girlfriend Dana Lowell, and he was already to safety, so he didn't come back out. 
The first thing that the Zodiac does at each crime scene is incapacitate the man in some way, presumably to avoid a struggle. At the Blue Rock Springs shooting on July 4th of 1969, the um, Zodiac approached the passenger side of a car door. Darlene Farron, the female victim, was seated in the front seat. Mike Majot, the male victim, was seated in the passenger seat. And perhaps you could say that, well, it was close to midnight. I mean, we're talking 11.50, 11.53 p.m. thereabouts on the 4th of July, 1969. Maybe he didn't know who was seated in which car. Well, except for the fact that the Zodiac was carrying a very large flashlight, one of those large ones with a handle, and he could see very clearly that there was a male in the passenger seat, and there's a female in the driver's seat. So he pulls the gun at the passenger side window, fires some gunshots, and gets away. There's this rumor going around that uh, he said at least one word to Darlene Farron, or he called her by her nickname D, and uh, she said something in response. It seems like that is heavily disputed, and Darlene Farron is, of course, not here to defend herself and say what actually happened or if she actually uttered any word. And Mike Michaud, the surviving witness, has become a little bit less reliable than people would like. But, I mean, that is true. The Zodiac fired at the passenger side. Now, it's possible that the first shot that was fired at Blue Rock Springs actually went across Mike Michaud and struck Darlene Farron in the arm. And uh, Richard Grinnell and Mike Morford talked about this on Zodiac Speaking as well when they said that the Zodiac is trying to render someone, um, what is the exact phrasing here? They're trying to incapacitate a person, presumably to avoid a struggle. Well, in that case, he would shoot the female first because she's in the driver's seat. But the Zodiac, I really just have to point out the fact that the Zodiac's at the passenger side door. Mike Bajot is in the passenger seat. If he did strike Darlene Ferret in the arm, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But, um... I mean, maybe he struck her first with the bullet. But the point is that he shoots at the passenger side first. And a large theory in, the, in Lake Herman Road, and this isn't accepted by everyone, but it's that the victims were actually ordered out of the car and that David Faraday was shot first. And then Betty Lou Jensen, as I said, was either told to run or she just freaked out and ran on her own accord and then she was gunned down by the killer. But the males are incapacitated. At Lake Berryessa, the Zodiac killer stabbed Brian Hartnell first. And there could be numerous reasons for that. Brian Hartnell even requested it, so um, we know to the best of our knowledge. But the Zodiac stabbed the male victim first. The Zodiac is incapacitating the male victims. I completely agree with that. But now is this what actually happened with the uh, murder of Dana Lull in 1974? I should also point out that when Dana Lull's body was recovered from the mine shaft, she was determined to have died from a single gunshot from a small caliber firearm. Well, Paul Stein was killed with one shot. Um, David Faraday also not shot a lot. Um, Betty Lou Jensen and Darlene Farron, as well as Mike Michaud, were both shot numerous times. So that's some. Those are some points that could be heavily, heavily debated, and um, I don't even think that those are completely consistent. Um, the Zodiac didn't have to follow any particular pattern, as there is no rule book for being a serial killer, quite to the contrary, actually. But I would like to go over to something else that had been shared by Welsh Chappie, 
and this was posted on ZodiacKiller.forum Motion. It's an article from 1974, and it says, Sunday, April 27th, 1974, 10.36 p.m., Red Rock Canyon, Las Vegas, Nevada. Dana Lolan boyfriend Roy Topai are seated in a lover's lane just west of Charleston Boulevard. A second vehicle pulls in behind theirs and illuminates the young couple who are now almost blinded by the sudden bright overpowering light of beams aimed directly at them and hear the door of the second vehicle open. A man appeared and had a gun pointed at them. Roy didn't wait to see what the armed man wanted, fleeing instantly from the vehicle and hiding in a ditch at the roadside where he watched helplessly as the armed man forced Dana from her vehicle into his before driving. Um, in the um, in a previous article that I've already read off here, it does also seem like rather inconsistent. It seems more like um, Roy waited for the perpetrator to concentrate his attention onto Dana Lull, as opposed to just seeing some suspicious uh, character approaching them and taking off running. Um, believe it or not, I tend to think that it's that one, and I don't think that Roy was as cowardly as this article is making him out to be. Roy got a good look at the abductor's vehicle and quickly dashed to get help. Dana's car was still in position when police arrived, but there was no sign of Dana confirming to authorities what Roy had observed after being abducted, after her being abducted. This was Roy's description of the suspect's vehicle. White sports car, convertible, black cloth top, wire spoke wheels, chrome luggage rack on trunk, missing grill, an old California license plate. At the time, Lawrence Kane drove a 1966 MG sports car, white, convertible, black cloth top, wire-spoked wheels, chrome luggage rack, and on the trunk with a missing grill, and he had old California plates. Dana Lil's body was discovered in a mineshaft on Mountain Springs Road in San Bernardino, California. Kane, at the time of this incident, lived on Spring Mountain Road in Las Vegas, and as I said, Lawrence Kane would, um, spend many years in the state of Nevada, even passing away in Reno, Nevada, in 2010. Incredibly, the suspect was stopped by a policeman one hour after the abduction, porting the young woman to her death. A Nye County, Nevada Sheriff's Deputy Tom Hanna had observed the sports car driving erratically on a lonely stretch of desert road at 11.40 p.m. Hanna had pursued and stopped the vehicle and was met by the exceedingly courteous suspect still wearing his black gloves who preferred a temporary who proffered a temporary California driver's license yes it says proffered the license the suspect explained that he had driven from San Francisco and was very tired during his exchange with the suspect Hannah noted the presence of a young sandy-haired woman slumped in the front seat of the sports car and whom Hannah assumed was asleep the woman remained motionless during the entire encounter. Hannah observed a small bumper sticker on the back rear fender of the car which said, Save the Puppy Fish. He let the suspect go with just a warning. Because Hannah was in the middle of the desert and out of radio range, he didn't bother calling in the car's license plate to the dispatcher, nor had an APB on the sports car in connection with Dana's disappearance been tendered earlier that night, authorities being initially skeptical of Dana's rather scruffy-looking boyfriend, thinking at most they were dealing with a runaway. Two weeks later, Dana's body was found in the um, abandoned Cinnabar mineshaft 125 miles away. She had been shot once through the head with a 
22 caliber long jacket bullet. And the, uh, it's actually, uh, the last sentence is, similar in make and model to the Zodiac's favored bullets. Okay, um, a lot of things going on in that post right there. That car description sounds oddly, oddly similar to Lawrence Kane. I mean, strikingly similar, if all of that info is accurate. And some info about Nye County, Nevada. I have, uh, been there recently, actually, and it is just the far-out desert, more or less. I mean, you're definitely going to be about one hour from Las Vegas. The buildings are going to be few and far between for a while until you perhaps get to the town of Pahrump. So, absolutely going to be out of radio contact, and if somebody's going to be driving erratically, well, it's open desert roads. I mean, lots of people do that, and I don't think that that officer would have suspected anything out of the ordinary. If I had to make any comments on the the psychology of the perpetrator, and let's say, let's just say for this episode that this guy actually did stop the murderer of Dana Lull, and it is Dana Lull's dead body in the um, car there, and he's not giving off any telltale signs, I would say that he is a definitive sociopath, because Dr. Romney has a few videos out on YouTube talking about this, and when a psychopath or sociopath, it's exactly the way she described them. They'll have a dead body in the trunk of their car, and appear cool as a cucumber if they get stopped by law enforcement. In this case, the body is not in the trunk of the car, but rather in one of the passenger seats. So, um, you'd really have to be very, very sociopathic to get away with something like that. But, um, when the officer is not looking for something like that, he sees somebody who's asleep in the car, um, if they don't know that they're supposed to be looking for a vehicle of that description or a person of that description, they're perhaps not going to immediately assume that someone is just driving around with a dead body. Absolutely tragic about what happened to Dana Lull, um, especially that she was with a male companion nonetheless. It's not like she was just walking alone at 10.30 at night in the dark in the middle of nowhere. She was with somebody... And that still did not happen. A lot of people will put forward theories about how they believe that their Zodiac suspect abducted victims, moved the bodies, or did something to transport the victims to a different location. And it's not only in the canonical crimes. There's a very large theory going on in the murder of Sherry Jo Bates that she was abducted prior to her murder, but um, I definitely do not believe that the murder of Sherry Jo Bates was genuine Zodiac activity. Gareth Penn even talked about how he thought that the murder of Joan Webster in 1981 was connected to the Zodiac killer, and that the Zodiac wanted to murder Paul Stein on October 11th of 1969, shooting a taxi driver. Then the Zodiac wanted to drive a taxi and abduct a victim and then murder her and hide the body somewhere. He was adding a layer of criminal versatility, um, but I think that that's just Gareth Penn messing around and um, connecting dots that shouldn't be there. A big commonality between the murders of Joan Webster from 1981 and the murder of Dana Lowell from 1974 is that they were both highly, highly publicized by the media. As I said, there are numerous articles that you can read for yourself on the um, on the uh, Lawrence Kane WordPress, but I'd like to keep going with this uh, forum post here that is uh, from Forum Motion. 
Kane's physical description, talking about Lawrence Kane now, matched the Dana Lowell suspect down to the black driving gloves that, according to Harvey Hines' investigation, the Natalie-dressed Kane had taken to wearing. Checking with DMV records, Hines located the man who had bought the car from Kane in 1974, December of that year. The new purchaser, a car dealer and acquaintance of Lawrence Kane, recalled a bumper sticker of some kind, but couldn't remember what it said. The man, however, related that Kane, I think I mean relayed that Kane was a lover of tropical fish and had a number of aquariums in his apartment. Well, that doesn't sound very ferocious, but um, I guess that is true about serial killers, that they um can often do activities that seem very normal. And I'm not saying that Lawrence Kane was a serial killer. He was never convicted for the murder of Dana Lull or the Zodiac crimes, of course. Tom Hanna retired... Nye County Sheriff's deputy, who stopped the suspect in the Dana Lull killings on the lonely desert road at night, contended that he would remember the suspect if he ever saw him again. A photo lineup of six 3x7 photos sent to Hannah yields an exciting development. Hannah selected Kane out of the lineup, proclaiming, I have no doubt this is the man that I stopped. It's his eyes and eyebrows. I could never forget them. I'd stake my life on that. He's the guy. Also precipitated by the seemingly endless stream of phone calls is a tentative ID by Roy Topai, Dana Lull's boyfriend at the time, who witnessed her abduction. Topai, who, is sent, who was sent the same photo lineup as Hannah, misreads the corresponding numbers on the backs of photos. He selects a number other than Kane, at which point I indicate our actual suspect, and Topai cuts in, that's the one I meant. I was reading the wrong number. So, uh... Big thank you to um, the poster here, who, um, this was Galaxy 500, who sent this in, and um, that might also be from Travis as well, actually, come to think that name is sounding a little bit familiar. All right, well, let's look at some of the comments that have um, come into that one. Ovion says, wow, thanks for posting, this has to be Kane, and further strengthens my suspicion that Donna Lass's body was also thrown into a mine shaft. Yes, the disappearance of Donna Lass occurred in 1970, and uh, perhaps these are similar crimes, but I th one of you guys in the comments section, I don't remember who is, pointed out something about Lawrence Kane and the Zodiac Killer. Even if Lawrence Kane had a connection to the murder of Donna Lass, even if Lawrence Kane actually did abduct Donna Lass, even if Lawrence Kane did abduct and murder Dana Lowell, even if Lawrence Kane abducted Kathleen Johns off of Highway Route 132, those are unconfirmed crimes. Somebody said that in the comments section. The only connections that Lawrence Kane has could be to the abduction of Kathleen Johns and the uh, disappearance of Donna Lass. I mean, it's really, really likely that Donna Lass was murdered. And um, now we see the murder of Dana Lull in 1974 all unconfirmed Zodiac crimes. I mean, yeah, the Zodiac has um, claimed responsibility for things, sending in things like the peek through the pines card, as well as talking about giving the woman and her baby a ride. The Zodiac killer definitely wanted to, um, to make some statement that he had a connection to the Kathleen Johns incident and the disappearance of Donna Lass. However, unconfirmed, unconfirmed, unconfirmed. I mean, I still state that those are unconfirmed incidents until I see something otherwise. But I mentioned Michael Cole in the Zodiac Revisited trilogy, and his theory is more or less that the, the Zodiac's crimes 
were connected to different angles, like there are different angles and it goes along the lines of radians and that it also lines up with the summer solstice, the spring equinox, the fall equinox, and there are reasons why those dates are chosen. Kathleen Johns was abducted on March 22nd, 1970, right after the spring equinox. So that's something else that I will give him credit for that, you know, giving credit where credit is due. Welsh Chappie has a response to that um, post, um, which was originally shared uh, by Welsh Chappie, who says, I personally think that there isn't much doubt that Kane is responsible for Dana Lowell's abduction and murder. I remember a few people over on Tom's site years ago saying they believe Kane probably killed Dana, but refused to believe that he was the Zodiac. As I said, that automobile description is beyond striking. I mean, like, if it is just a coincidence that this guy, Lawrence Kane, is driving that same car, it definitely does sound like him. I mean, it does sound like exactly like someone like Lawrence Kane, but where's the smoking gun? I mean that literally and metaphorically that would actually connect Lawrence Kane other than this um, form of uh, surmise. Will's Chappie is... Well, I get many people emailing me regarding Lawrence Kane, and yesterday I received the following message. Hello, Wells Chappie. My name is Blank, and I am a paralegal and notary in Central Florida. I've been reading your excellent work on the suspect Larry Klein K. Kane Kane and the Heinz Report. I've never seen a more compelling Zodiac suspect in the case. I don't know about the most compelling suspect. Um, I also want to share something with you about Lawrence Kane. About two months ago... Everybody was talking about Mike Morford's new discovery about Zodiac killer suspect McDuff and saying that Morph may have solved the Zodiac mystery and that it was this guy named McDuff who lived near the phone that was used after the Blue Rock Springs shooting and the internet's going wild. Then it seems that there was a, a possible solution that was made to the Z13 and Z32 ciphers in the earlier part of this year by a man named Faisal, who was living in France, a French-Moroccan guy, Faisal Zawari, I don't want to butcher his last name, so I won't, I'll just call him Faisal, and he revealed a solution to the Z13, in addition to Harvey Heinz's, that he said, spelled out K-A-Y-R, Kair, Kair, Kayar, something like that, and he thought that was rather similar to Lawrence K. Okay, I mean... But um, that's his solution, and the internet started picking up it again that Lawrence Kane may be the Zodiac killer. So I've definitely noticed waves in internet popularity and discussions on certain Zodiac killer suspects, and I do think that a lot of it is down to just that, that the tides go in and the tides go out. People start talking about a Zodiac suspect, they get mentioned in the media rather frequently. Last year, around this time, everyone was talking about Xenophon Anthony. I was getting numerous requests to do an episode on the Zodiac Killer suspect Xenophon Anthony. Although he may have pronounced it Xenophon, and he actually went by Zene in his normal life. And I was talking about him with uh, Drew Beeson, author of the book Sighting In on the Zodiac Killer. And we he mentioned the woman Kelly Marshall. And I think the reason why people were talking about Xenophon Anthony so frequently last year is because there was this documentary out called Zodiac Rush to Editor that featured Kelly Marshall and her possible solution to the Z340 cipher. And what Drew Beeson said to me was, do you know Kelly Marshall, the cipher lady? And I said, sort of. And he's like, she's the one who claimed that she had solved the Z340 by saying that the the cipher is the key itself, and I said, oh, I know who you're talking about, I said, sort of, because, well, we have a better solution to the Z340 now, 
and sorry, Kelly Marshall, finding the letters X and A in a cipher and saying, hey, that could be Z to fun, Anthony, or getting the solution, Tony. It's like, well, Anthony and Tony, I'm low. that could be a connection there, too. I absolutely do not think that Kelly Marshall had anything correct at all. So there are definitely waves of popularity that certain suspects will go through, and they're mentioned in the media more frequently. That means they get mentioned on forums more frequently. And if I can give you my honest take on the subject, I think that a lot of the attention that Lawrence Kane is getting now is just hot air, and the hot air will pass. But did he actually commit the murder of Dana Lull? As Playtime said in that original comment that I read off that got me reading up on this, it was because he did it on because it was close to the date of his birthday, and he seems like someone who's connected to organized crime, lots of criminal activity. He could commit crimes, and he knew that he would get away with them. Although Lawrence Kane did have a very long criminal history, I um, definitely would refer you back to the Lawrence Kane WordPress, but I also have an episode on this channel called Just That. Lawrence Kane criminal history. He was arrested numerous times for simple things like shoplifting and so on. I don't know if the Zodiac killer, no matter who he was, thought that um, he could commit these crimes without getting caught. The murder of Dana Lull definitely appears to be somewhat of a thrill kill, which is connected to the Zodiac killer, but it also seems to be somewhat sexual in a way that he wanted to have power over this young woman. Here's another point, and I know this might not mean too much, but the Zodiac did not have any 15-year-old victims. Betty Lou Jensen was the youngest at 16, and all the women were older than her, even Sherry Jo Bates. As I said, I don't think she was a genuine Zodiac victim, but some people do. So um, I definitely don't think Lawrence Kane is the best Zodiac suspect. He's not even at the top of my list, and um, but I... I can't eliminate him completely, I can say that much. I mean, anything's possible, right? So, I would like to go to a different article that has also been posted on this forum from the Santa Ana Register. and It says, Kidnap Teen Needles, California. A teenage girl whose decomposed body was found at the bottom of a mine shaft near Barstow Wednesday had been kidnapped from a parked car on the outskirts of Las Vegas, Nevada last month. An autopsy performed revealed that she was Dana Marie Lull, a sophomore at Western High School in Las Vegas, shot in the head with a twenty-two caliber weapon and had been dead for about three weeks. Officers said that she was identified through dental records and jewelry found on her body. Las Vegas authorities said Miss Lull was kidnapped April 27th when she was in a parked car in the Red Rock Canyon area with Roy Topai, age 20. Topai said the authorities arm said the authorities that um, said to the authorities, excuse me, that an armed man forced them out of the car and forced the girl into his vehicle and sped away. Police searched the Red Rock Canyon area for almost a week but failed to find any trace of the missing girl. Two graduate mining students in the Saddleback Mountains discovered the body at the bottom of a 25-foot deep abandoned mine shaft. Um, so there is uh, some more details there on the murder of Dana Lull, and that also seems to show that it's not just like the headlamps of the car approach and some guy got out of the car and Roy Topai ran away. It seems like he was um, 
ordered out of the car, even held up at gunpoint, and then he saw that there was a break and he ran for it because the killer was devoting his um, attention to Dana Lull. Still not the most um, courageous thing. I mean, you got people like Robert Domingos, who um, was perhaps tied up at Gaviota, and someone was trying to either assault or murder his date, Linda Edwards. So he broke free from the restraints and tried to fight him off, and they made a run for it together. But, you know, I really can't be too critical, because we don't know what we're going to do in these uh, types of situations. Now, Ophion1031 says, Even the wardrobe sounds like Kane. I always thought he would be the guy that would wear driving gloves. Oh, really? I never once thought that. I thought that Kane would be a little bit uh, sloppier. Wells Chappie says, You know this event here and the motive of abducting the female at gunpoint has always made me wonder if this was what the assailant's motive at Lake Herman Road was, but Betty Lou ran away after seeing David being shot. Well, uh, oof, I mean, it definitely could have happened, but I have to point out, the Zodiac didn't um, abduct any other victims. Um, well, if that were the case, actually, I will challenge you on that. Why didn't the Zodiac order Darlene Farron out of the car at Blue Rock Springs? Why did he start shooting before he could have ordered them out of the car? Why didn't he abduct Cecilia Shepard at Lake Berryessa? He, he could have held her up at gunpoint and walked her back anywhere, really. It seems like the person who committed all of those crimes was set on um, committing murder. Whereas with the, with the uh, abduction of Dana Lull, it's just that. It's very clearly about getting her away from the crime scene. And even to the credit of Roy Tapai, he is able to provide that description that Dana Lull was um, very clearly the focus and the target and the killer wanted to abduct her and take her with him. Rocketman says, didn't see this thread now. This has to be Kane. I mean, yeah, it would. It might not be, but I think it was. It's just too perfect not to be him. And based on everything we've heard here, it does sound very similar, but here's another point, sad to say, but Sometimes these journalists and uh, newspaper writers get really messy on the details. John Foster says, it sure does seem that way. It seems like Kane. And then um, the next one is from Galaxy 500, who says, Addendum to the above. Top High further stated that the suspect had a small mustache and wore dark. Not sure if this means um, referring to the tint or the rims, but he wore dark glasses. The articles from the Las Vegas Review-Journal purportedly feature a slightly different variation of this description, but I'm afraid I haven't had the opportunity to review them. Kane wore dark glasses, didn't he? I could see him rocking a tiny mustache with a pencil line, or whatever it is called. I mean, maybe, maybe. So it does seem like Lawrence Kane is in the area. He has a vehicle of that description. I don't know anything about him wearing driving gloves, if that's something that he regularly did or not. I mean, I don't even want to comment on that. He also seems like someone who does have a big criminal history, connections to organized crime. Yeah, he can be a suspect in the murder of Dana Lull, a strong suspect even, if indeed Officer Hannah and Topai both pointed out to Lawrence Kane. If that is indeed true, that's almost beyond belief that he wouldn't be arrested at that point. I mean, if they did any of those identifications prior to 2010... There's no statute of limitations on murder. So, 
it seems like, yeah, he's a strong suspect of the murder of Dana Lowell based on my first impressions. When it comes to the disappearance of Donna Lass, I will do an episode about Lawrence Kane. I'm, but I'm so, so detached from him at that point because I don't see how you could connect any suspect to the disappearance of Donna Lass at this point, other than Lawrence Kane is nearby, and just living in the area doesn't make you the murderer, or in that case, the abductor. Well, what do you think about Lawrence Kane as a Zodiac Killer suspect? And is there anything that you would like to weigh in on the murder of Dana Lull from 1974? I think we need to give a big rest in peace to Dana Lull. She definitely did not deserve to um, have her life ended this way. And um, to, as I said one more time, to the credit of Roy Tapai, he was able to provide lots of information about her disappearance and the abductor as well as the vehicle and so on. But I do have one final announcement. Next week, there will not be a Zodiac Mondays. Instead, I'm going to be doing a five-part series on the Long Island serial killer. So please look out for that. And this week is going to continue like normally doing True Crime Talk Radio, the AMA, as well as uh, the Anything Goes segment on Friday and the disappearance of Donna Lass on Thursday. But next week, we'll be completely devoted to the Long Island serial killer. There are going to be five episodes all coming out in a row. Please um, feel free to give that a listen. If you haven't hit that like button and subscribe yet, now's a great time to do so, so you can follow all of this stuff. And I began this episode by reading off a comment from somebody who was talking about the murder of Dana Lowell in the comments section. If there are any uh, cases or ideas for a future episode that you would like on the channel, you can put your requests in the comments section down below. You can also write me at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com or on Instagram, blackboxnet88. My personal Facebook is also in the description box. Lots of ways to keep in touch. This channel relies on your support. And the absolute best way to support the channel is just by listening to some more content. There is a Teespring page, though, and if you would like to uh, check out some of the merchandise, t-shirts available, almost all sizes and colors, remember, being weird is not a crime. But the biggest thing is just tune in for the True Crime Talk radio segment, the AMA, the Thursday episodes on Donna Lass, and the Anything Goes segment on Fridays. I said previously, though, that the topic for this week on the AMA Anything Goes segment will be discussing the book The Last Days of August by John Ronson, which is about the suicide of adult entertainer August Ames. And it really is a quite, um, well, it's quite a different, ahead-of-its-time production, because it's an audible original, and some places refer to it as a book, others an extended podcast. It's got all kinds of things in it, like interviews and, um, like people are giving their side of the story, pre-recorded segments from other narrators, and it's all put together. It could be easily transcribed into a paperback book, but it was an audible original, The Last Days of August by John Ronson. I'm working through that one, and um, I'm looking forward to that episode on Friday. I have a previous episode on the suicide of August Davis, but it is a very big story, and I think that is... Um, an understatement. So one more time, you can hit the like button, subscribe, and tune in for some more content here on Black Box Online Radio. Okay, that's all for me now, and I will see you over on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.